1: and welcome to PMG. I'm your host, Travis Patton, Sr. I enjoy discovering and sharing real-life moments of inspiration from everyday people. And this show is about finding moments of inspiration for our everyday lives. And look, and if you're going to tell me something, then tell me something good. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of TMG. I'm your host, Travis Patton senior. Hey, guys, listen, I'm so glad that you decided to join the show today. So glad that you're tuning in. Guys, listen, you're going to love this show. I mean, I'm super excited to be here. I got to take care of some homework. Before we get started in the show, guys, so you know how we do it. Before we get started, guys, listen. Don't forget to visit our YouTube page. That's tell me something good with the capital T. And I cannot start this show off without giving all props and thanking my very best supporter, my biggest fan, my lovely wife Nicole. Girl, I know you're watching. I know you're listening, and that's your setup. Listen, guys, in a very, very short time, this show has taken off, and it's being heard in places all around the globe. I mean, places like Canada, Germany. I mean, places like the Philippines, Vietnam, China. It's blowing my mind how this show has taken off, and I'm so glad that you've been along for the ride. Guys, a few things. Keep in mind, the show has moved to Thursdays at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. That's 7 p.m. Eastern. Guys, I'm so glad that you're here. And I changed the times because I want to be able to get in a chat live and talk and chat with everybody. So glad that everybody's here. Guys, if you did not catch the title of what we're talking about today, Let me go ahead and throw it up for you. Today's topic is on thin ice. Yeah, today's topic is on thin ice. And I have a very, very special guest that I'm going to bring on the show. But right before I do, guys, I want you to watch this very, very short clip of what we're talking about on thin ice. yeah, yeah, yeah. is on thin ice. And guys, listen, you know as long well as I do that life can be precarious and unpredictable and slippery as walking on ice. And usually, when we try to figure out our footing, we are the moments that we typically lose our balance. and finding our footing in life can be tricky, right? It can be very, very tricky trying to find our footing in life. And whether it's in careers, relationships, or individual goals, things don't always go as smoothly as predicted or as expected. At times, navigating things is like walking on ice. We might find ourselves slipping and and sliding and skiing around from one place to the other, and we might find ourselves trying to find our footing. Guys, sometimes even worse than that, we might find ourselves falling through the ice. Guys, our special guest today is Rick Smith Jr. He knows how it feels to slide on ice, both physically and personally. He is a former professional hockey player, that's right, guys. A professional hockey player. He's also certified in chain psychology, a USA weightlifting sports performance coach and author. He has helped thousands from school-aged children to Olympic athletes, CEOs, and entrepreneurs to help improve both their physical and mental health and battle addictions to emerge. Victorious! Listen, he has survived his own slips, slides, and skids, and he is here today to share his story of how he was able to regain his balance and his footing and avoid thin ice. Rick, I want you to come on camera, man, and give everybody a big hello. How you do, everybody? Let Rick know that you're in the building. Rick, how you doing, man?
2: What's up, guys? Awesome. I'm so fired up to be with you all. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, It is an honor to have you here, man. Uh, I, I told you, since our first conversation, Rick, I have been so excited about it. It just seemed like we began to mesh a little bit. We began to bond a little bit. And there were certain things that we shared when we just began to just talk. We weren't even talking about the show, just having a conversation. And we realized that there were certain things that we shared. It was like, wow, I can see why this really works. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And I'm so excited for everyone to kind of jump in and get to know you like I'm getting to know you. So do me a favor. I know a little bit about you. Uh, you and I talked. Introduce yourself to everybody, Rick. Right?
2: Absolutely. So. Uh, Rick Smith Jr. here. I'm 44 years old, and uh, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Angie, for over 16 years.
1: What in the world? 16? Good grief, man.
2: Still going strong. Um, Yeah, we've got our our little miracle boy, Gabriel. He has just turned three years old in September. Awesome. Fantastic. So yeah, you know, uh, some fun facts. I mean, I, I'm a workout enthusiast. I love to work out five times a week. Uh, my son loves to, you know, of course, eat breakfast with me in the morning to start a day <laughs> out, right? he wants to take his vitamins with dad. And uh, you know, we're we're very blessed for what we have when we get up in the morning. So uh, oh. that's that's a little bit a uh, little bit to get us started.
1: Th- that's a lot, man. Uh, congratulations, man. 16 years. Some people don't last 16 minutes. Uh, Man, I'm so glad that you – that shows us the commitment that you have to your future, the commitment that you have to your family. Absolutely amazing, guys. Rick's story is really, really good. His story is not just intriguing. It doesn't just make your eyebrows stick up, but it's also captivating. It's certainly worth mentioning that everything you mentioned are things you had to navigate while trying (laughs) To juggle a career on ice.
2: It was um, it, it, yeah. So so go it, it, to go back here. The hockey background is very extensive within our family. Um, mm. I was hearing uh, you know, with you, my dad played hockey, and so just naturally, I gravitated to what dad was doing because he was my hero, and actually still is today. Um. Okay but he played for the Cincinnati Bearcats, uh, and he was in the minors for a hot minute. And then, you know, my grandfather played in the NHL to my great uncle. I had another great uncle who played in the NHL, two cousins, uh, my, my mom's brother, my other uncle, we had, uh, a, a another cousin who refereed <laughs> for a very long time in the NHL and actually got inducted into the hall of fame. And so oh, wow. many other cousins, um, you know that played professionally or juniors or in the college ranks, and so you know naturally it uh, it was like we had our hockey sticks when we were in the cradle.
1: <laughs> Everybody else comes out holding rattles and teddy bears. You guys come out holding hockey sticks.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> with a puck in the mouth. So, um but yeah, you know, I it was something to where I had that connection with my father at a very young age. And, uh, you know, hockey took me to some very special places, met some very special people, um, through that process, you know, growing up, my dad was always right there with me. Of course, my mom was the backbone to the family. Mm-hmm. and uh, I was an only child for nine years. And then my brother, you know, came into the equation. I, I basically got tired of playing with Teddy Ruxpin for any of those that don't know what that is. You oh, you're, the- you're dating yourself now, Rick. No, I know. So, you know, a stuffed animal where you put a cassette tape in, close the door, and Teddy Ruxpin yeah. speaks with you. I know. So uh, I didn't have to play with Teddy Ruxpin anymore. I had this little little guy in my life, my brother. And so, um, you know, I'm nine years older uh, than my brother and ten years older than my sister. She came into the equation, uh, you know, about a year later after my Uh brother. So two sibs. But yeah, you know, um, I I started uh, hockey was great, and things were going well Mm -hmm. for a long time. Was going through the AAA ranks through youth hockey, and wow, wow, dad, Dad was helping me through that process. Um, mm-hmm. but, but what was going on through that period of time is, you know, uh, I'm a child, I'm an alcoholic. So, you know, going back to even the time of when I was two and a half, three years old, which is a very vague memory for me. I, 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 I vaguely remember running out of the hospital room, but my dad had left, a an, um, a hockey alumni game and, uh, they were at an after party, And my dad left there drunk and, um, you know, he ended up getting in a car accident, which then the Mm. ambulance found him a hundred feet from his vehicle. Oh, wow. And so, you know, the gear stick, uh, the gear shift, the stick was, you know, had impaled his spleen, his stomach, broken ribs, broken jaw. Uh, And basically by the time that the ambulance got there and paramedics were there, Mm -hmm. uh, they had pronounced my dad dead on arrival. And so they got back to the hospital and a doctor saw him, uh, you know, some, some activity essentially, right? and, uh, they ended up reviving him eventually. So thank God that did happen. Um, and he, you know, he's still in my life today.
1: Good, Uh, good.
2: Through that period of time, of course, you know, from two and a half through nine to 15 years old, there was still, Mm -hmm. uh, you know unfortunately this dysfunction that was going on uh right at, right at home with the drinking and so you know child of an alcoholic certain learned behaviors and i just kind of followed suit um i found myself you know drinking at a very early age
0: 14 mm-hmm, 15,
2: mm-hmm. i was trying drinking and really started to get heavier uh actually at the age of 15 i, I moved wow. away from home um and I was chasing that NHL dream, so I went from a, a rural community here locally mm-hmm. and then moved to a metropolis uh Toronto oh. uh, up to Canada. so you know uh pretty much everything was at your fingertips even at fifteen years old and um, Absolutely. the 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 addiction was starting to take over in my, in my life and in my career at that time. It was uh not as intense as it was as I can mm-hmm. a little bit older. But it was starting to nudge its way in, uh, which was having an impact in the unmanageability that was starting to creep into my life.
1: Right, right.
2: So, you know, moving on from there, um, uh, I advanced through my hockey career and I I got drafted in what's called into the OHL, the Ontario Hockey League. And uh, I chose to go that route instead of going to college. I, of course, finished out high school eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was moving up through the ranks and then, uh, coincidentally enough, uh, you and I connecting my first year of playing professional hockey was actually in Birmingham playing for the Birmingham Bulls.
1: Birmingham in the house.
2: (laughs) So I got called up, uh, the last, um, the last call it few weeks of the, the season in 98, 99, uh, after my OHL career was done. Uh-huh. I played my first um, uh, experience professionally, and we made it to playoffs that year with the Birmingham Bulls. We were playing against uh, the, the Fort Myers uh, or, or excuse me, the, the Everblades down there. And um, that was my, my first experience of being in this warmer client. I'm used to being in Canada <laughs> now I'm at the beach in Florida. It was just it was very odd and peculiar to me at the time. Um, and so, uh, they liked the play that I had from just seeing me just through that short period of time that I signed a contract for the next season. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, to, to Birmingham for my first year. So, you know, there was, a there were some major stumbling blocks through that progression though. Um, you know, previous, uh, experiences where I had a coach right before going down to Birmingham, you know, he noticed mm-hmm. my off habits and he just said, look, look you know, Rick, you're going to be a professional next year. I need to start acting like one. And that was kind Absolutely. of like, oof, you know, that didn't, it didn't feel too good. But I kind of, in that moment said, you know what, he's right. And, um, that summer before I came down for my first full years with the bulls, right? I, che- I checked myself into rehab. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, really at that time I was more struggling with, uh, substance abuse from the, from the perspective of alcohol, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm wasn't really into the drug scene too much at that time yet. Uh, But um, yeah, I I played my my first call at five, six months in Birmingham sober and was having a great start to my season, go figure. Um, But you know what? Uh, I was 21, you know, trying to stay out of places where I was going to find trouble. And uh, I just at some point, you know, um, I fell back and I went back to old behaviors and I picked up again. Uh, I ended up getting into you know this thing's progressive it's not it's not pretty it 's just sitting there waiting it, doing push ups exactly
1: exactly exactly,
2: and I started getting into drugs with cocaine and ecstasy, and uh you know I started going down this path where before I looked at people doing those type of drugs, you know like those people that are doing that type of stuff like those guys are losers, and yeah. um you know i looked in the mirror and I, I turned into being one of those losers essentially. And so, you know, all that to be said, um, I didn't lead on to my family at the end of that season that I had relapsed. What I did was I asked asked for a trade and I I thought a geographical change would, uh, would help my situation because of my relapse. And so um, I went all the way out to Tucson, Arizona to start my next season to get away from my family
1: so that they couldn't see
2: what I was doing.
1: You mean you just you just decided to just relocate your 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 entire everything uproot everything that you were trying to establish everything that you were trying to root down there? You decide it's as best to just uproot everything, uh, to try to and hide or or cover what you were doing. It is amazing. The and the reason I'm bringing that up is because it's amazing, and because we've all been there. We try to hide certain things, right? So you're you're. It's amazing that the links that we will all go to to hide what we need to conquer or overcome Absolutely. you know we'll, we'll we'll go through great lengths you you move to an entirely different section of the country, trying to hide what was what you were dealing with, and we all as people. We deal with so many different things. And, whether, and, and what I hear, is, is, and, you, and this is where you and I bonded. And my mother, I you, my mom was an alcoholic. My mom was an alcoholic. And I never enjoyed drinking, never wanted to do it. But I had addictive, addictive nature. So I knew that the addictive nature was there. You know, whether it was alcohol or whatever it was, I had an addictive nature in me and I knew that it was there. And I had to and I had to, I had to try to face that. There were things in my life that, like you, man, I had to try to conquer like everybody else. But we all will go through to extreme lengths to cover the things that we're trying to hide. And you move to an entirely different state. You yeah. just uprooted everything i'm out That's- I'm getting out
2: of here yeah yeah and uh you know I, I went across drove across state uh across the u.s essentially went back home that summer and um took off went to tucson arizona and uh what was interesting through that period of time is that team was in a, a an expansion team in this specific league in the minors and it was about two weeks before we were supposed to uh, start the season. They actually pulled the plug on operations, whether that was funding. Mm. We still didn't know the whole story. So, you know, here we were, all of 26-plus uh, guys out of a job. Seasons had already started in different leagues, and now we were trying to find uh, jobs. So the interesting thing about this story is the previous season, when I played in Birmingham and I was sober for about five, six months there, Mm-hmm. I had the experience of playing in New Orleans. And so when I was there, uh, I stayed away. You know, I, of course, went down Bourbon Street, but I said, you know what? I got to go back to the hotel room, take care of myself. We got a game tomorrow. And um, I actually was sober in New Orleans for my first experience in New Orleans. Oh, wow. Right. <laughs> uh, but knowing what I saw, and being in my relapse, I said to the coach out in Tucson, get me traded to New Orleans because mm-hmm. I saw what potentially could be what I would consider fun uh, based on my addiction self taking over. And so I found everything of that and more. Um, that really started the the climax to ultimately at... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, hitting my my bottom later on after that season, but you know I really I really went into some some dark places uh, with with my drug use, um, and it just it it took on a a whole new level of of addiction uh, to the point where at the end of that season, you know my coach at the time he coached in the NHL and he said, uh, hey listen we've got a meeting with the general manager of the hockey team. Uh, and this is important. Mm. And I knew, you know, uh, Coach saying those words, it wasn't going to be pretty.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like when you when you when you're, when, you're uh, when the when your parents call you to the room or your boss calls you to the office. Hey, I need to see you for a minute. You like, yeah.
2: oh, that lump in your is. throat. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. Uh, so of course going down the hallway, I, uh, I, I just was just waiting for whatever this was going to be. And, and of course, you know, knew that things weren't going well. So got into the room and, you know, conversation started and they said, look, Rick, you're a great hockey player. You had a great start to the season, but your off ice habits clearly have taken over mm-hmm. and, um, you know, your production and your performance has gone way down and we're going to release you. Mm. And so, uh, this is right before playoffs started. And, uh, there I was, you know, that was the end of my hockey career at the, in that moment. And, um, I had no place to play. Uh, I didn't know where I was going to go because the last thing I wanted to do was go home and face the music of, all right, now I got to share with my dad, my hero, my mom, and then my friends, you know, all the remorse, shame, guilt, embarrassment, um, you know, all of these feelings where I was like, you you know what? I am not dealing with that. I'm going to go numb out for a few months. And I went down to Pensacola, Florida. So I got even further away from home.
1: So wait, so now I I heard you, you you want to be traded to in New Orleans, New Orleans, right? Yeah. So when you get traded to New Orleans, you said at this point, I heard you say that you want to get traded to New Orleans because that's when, you know, your, your things begin to kind of spiral a little bit. Because you saw what would be, you thought would be fun. So here it is. Something was talking to you. And what was talking to you, the voice that was speaking to you, began to make decisions for you. And we weren't even. How, and here's a question I'm going to ask everybody that's listening. How many times have there's been a voice speaking to us, making our decisions for us, and we think it's us? We, we, think, we think that it's us making that decision when it's really the addiction making the decision. The, de- the addiction is deciding where we move, what jobs we take, what roles we play, who we have relationships with, who we talk to, how long we stay in those relationships, how healthy those things are. The addiction feeds itself. It yeah. keeps it. It keeps everything around it that will keep it healthy at the same time, at the expense of us not being healthy. You know, uh, we're talking about hockey, right? And I know, I know. You know this term. You know what a slap shot is. Oh, yeah. I know. You know what a slap shot. All you who don't know what a slap shot is, a, a, a slap shot in hockey, in ice hockey, is the hardest shot a person can perform. It's forceful, it's powerful, and it can be very difficult to defend if you've got somebody who knows what they're doing on the other end of that, of that hockey stick, right? And what would you say? What would you say are some, some things that have kind of come at you like a slap shot?
2: Man, I mean, it, it really what it had to come down to for me in this moment where I was uh, in Pensacola, Florida, uh, you know, it, it was facing, it was having to face my demons. Mm. And, you know, look, I was already sober at one point. I had already gone through the education and went to rehab for 30 days. You know, I, I had a community of uh, s- support back at home. Uh huh. Um, but, my addict self was running the show to the point where my father was calling morgues in new Orleans. Oh, wow. uh, He was calling the police stations. My brother was having nightmares of me uh, being killed in a car accident. Um, They literally had no clue where I was. I had sold, I sold everything to my name. I stopped making my car payments. Uh, All the monies that I had earned from hockey, essentially, I burnt through it all that whole time I was down in Pensacola, Florida. And uh, I came back home essentially with absolutely nothing to my name, other than platinum white hair. I looked like Mm -hmm. a beach bum with the tan that I had. Uh, And uh, that day that I rang that doorbell at home, it was... um, It was like a ghost like i was Mm. a hologram or something because i'll never forget that day of where my family was in the house i'll never forget it and it was like a pin drop and they were just like is that really him um and so you know of course they knew the story without even me talking about it just looking at me uh and so it was a defining moment later on i you know even through that period of time i still didn't get sober but it was shortly thereafter i was engaged to a, a lady uh before the wife i have now and mm-hmm. you know she basically said at which point i can't do this with you anymore she gave the ring back and um you know that was a moment where uh you know i i was having thoughts of suicide um you know, I wanted mm-hmm. to tell myself, I was lost in the identity of being a hockey player. I think what a lot of people struggle with is like, what's my purpose here? Correct. You know, you Correct. The, the word of identity. Uh, it's not titles. And so, um, you know, I was going through all of these struggles internally, just this internal conflict that was going on. And then finally, uh, you know, when um, my ex-fiance gave the ring back, the first person I called because mom would normally let me down easy. I wasn't picking up the phone to call dad because <laughs> I knew what he was going to say.
1: Yeah. You, you, you knew what the voice, uh, you knew what that voice was going to sound like. Absolutely. Um, so I call mom, she comes
2: over and she's already been in practice because she's experienced my dad and his addiction. And now, you know, of course, all this time has passed. He's sober. Uh, so she's, you know, worked on herself with not enabling with, you know, um, demonstrating tough love all of these things that uh, a mother should do and she did it she came over that day she sat in the chair in my my house that i had at that time and she said look you know basically you've got two options you know we paid over twenty thousand dollars for you to go to rehab you've got the education um you've got support you know who you need to call Mm -hmm. Uh, but the other lane the other why in the road um We know where that leads to. And if you choose to do that, I mean, you're probably going to go and and kill yourself. Oh, wow. So think about that, you know, as a mother and now me have a son who's three years old, those words and having just that tough love to walk out of the door with what she just said to me. And now knowing this after, after the fact, because she shared her story, Mm she was literally shaking, you know, with that steering wheel driving home because she didn't know what her son was going to do. And so in that moment, thank God, uh, I did, I, I fell to my knees, I was, I was weeping, and uh, I just, I cried out to God, and I said, God, help me. And so uh, I picked up the phone, I called somebody uh, who was sober, and without judgment, you know. Um, Absolutely. He just basically said to me, you know, dust yourself off, grab a shower, Get some good clothes. You and I are going to go out and have dinner, and then we're going to go to a support group meeting. And uh, that was that was the last time for me. So that would have been uh, that would have been February seventeenth of two thousand three. Awesome, man. Thank
1: that's, you. that's that's fantastic. Listen, we all <clears throat> have to find a place uh, or or someone, whether it be a, a doctor, a therapist we lean on our faith or our friends whatever but we all have to find someone that we can find some strength to help us until we can help ourselves and what I, and what I like about your story is there are plenty of opportunities that you gave up you said, man I wanted to kill myself and this was going on, but you kept fighting you kept coming back and fighting you kept coming back and fighting and i and I said this to somebody I said Sometimes we have to face the same thing over and over again. And sometimes, Rick, sometimes we have to face something enough times till that thing no longer shows up for the fight. Until it no longer shows up. You have to keep coming with your gloves on until (laughs) that thing no longer shows up. You may hit me in the left, but I'm showing back up for the fight. I might take a jab, but I'm showing back up for the fight. Yes. Sometimes we have to show up so much that that thing no longer shows up, and that's what I hear. And 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 you and I had a conversation. We had a candid conversation uh, yeah. about things. And when you and I briefly discussed something that was what we both had in common, uh, we had a conversation about generational dependency. Mm-hmm. Generational dependency. And guys, if you give us a minute, we'll tell you what that is. Generational dependency. Can you briefly explain what it is and kind of give an example of generational dependency? So
2: for me, just again to utilize uh my story, you know, when I when I look back in the family dynamics of the family tree, you had, you know, my my grandfather so my dad's dad, my grandpa, he died of diabetic. Uh, but, you know, he was drinking. And so mm. he, he lived a short life, unfortunately. He was an alcoholic. Um, there was more dysfunction on that side of the family, too, in way of, you know, substance abuse. So, how far that goes up the family tree, I'm not sure. But, you know, you see the trickle down effect that happened to my dad. And then you see the trickle down effect that happened to me. And then you've got my brother, you know, who went through uh, his battle with addiction and, and went into rehab and whatnot. Um, on my mom's side, it was very glorified uh, happy hour, mm. um, and so you know everybody had their certain drinks, and it was all laid out. Absolutely, and even to the next level. My mom has shared stories with me on mental illness on that side of the family too. So you have two trees, and then all of a sudden it's coming down on 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 you, right? Oh yeah. So the the generational hand me downs. That's the best way for me Ooh, to, to nice to describe that. Uh, and, and it comes from, it comes from both sides because again, whatever those learned behaviors are still going on, you're, Mm -hmm. you're passing them down to the next generation. So just like I said, and I I introduced, you know, myself earlier with my son being three years old and he sees me eating and taking my vitamins, looking out, like these are all the things he wants to do because he's watching dad do this.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
2: So taking ownership and responsibility over myself from what's happened on both sides of that family I'm like boom the shield's on the buck stops here and I'm taking ownership over myself because I'm responsible for the next generation
1: absolutely absolutely you know uh when you and I talk I share with you I say you know I had a sister who was one of my oldest sisters and uh she was diagnosed with cancer uh and but she also used used drugs she also mm-hmm. used drugs and she checked herself out of a hospital where she was getting treated for the cancer, where she was getting direct treatment for the cancer and was getting better. Her life was being better uh as much as it could. Uh, she checked herself out of the hospital to go chase the drug habit that she had. And died and died uh as a, you know, as a result of that, those things sad. And, and I share that story to show that we all have similar, may have similar stories, whether it's family, whether it's ourselves, but things that are passed down. And you said generational hand-me-downs.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's something we all can equate to. We've all had some shirts that our cousins wore that we had to wear, or our cousins, our oldest sister or brother, that was passed, that was hand me down. And we've all had some hand-me-downs. And I'm not talking about the shoes that you got that you had to squeeze your foot in just so you could say you got a pair of name brand shoes. I'm talking about the temperaments, the attitudes, the way of thinking, the habits, the perspectives. Let me help you out. Uh, What I hear, a lot of our perspectives, Rick, are Mm hand-me-downs. A lot of the way we think is a hand-me-down. People taught us how to think that way when we grew up around them. We all have hand-me-downs. And sometimes those hand-me-downs wasn't those pair of jeans that you wanted to wear. Sometimes that hand-me-down was a bad attitude. I don't know why you like that. Well, look at your, your dad had a bad attitude. Your cousin, your uncle had one. This person, was, I don't know why all the men in the family are in jail. If you look back, everybody was in jail There was a man in the family it is a generational hand-me-down. You coined that absolutely poetically. And what we have to do to begin to do this, and you said, man, I, I came to a point where I fell on my knees and I said, God, you got to help me because I can't help me. You reached out to a friend. Whether we... Pray and ask God, or we lean on our faith, or we get whatever we nothing is going to break the cycle until we decide to break it. Yeah, the cycle does not break. You said, Travis, I looked at my son, my guard was up, I was not going to pass this on to the next generation.
2: Yeah,
1: it's waiting. Listen, every generational hand me down is waiting. be passed to the next generation the only way it does not is we have to interrupt it yeah if we don't interrupt it it will automatically pass it it can't help but pass until we decide to break what came on us
2: absolutely and that's that's the thing for me is you know uh i want to continue to evolve and get better you know i I recently heard this this phrase and topic it was discussed uh if you live to a hundred years old and if that happens you know that's a good long life so if you look at increments of chapters being 10 you know 10 years you've got 10 chapters to your book there you go here i am i'm in my my coming up on my fifth chapter in my book i'm almost halfway through right and For me, what I want to constantly do is push the needle of getting better as a father, getting better as a husband, you know, as a as a son to my parents, uh, you know, in business with my clients. And again, if if I'm if I go back the other way, I'm not available for any of these people.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
2: My son. Uh, My wife has even said, you know, the beautiful thing about our marriage is she's never seen me drink or drug. She's never got to see that side of me. Wow. She's never seen me drink or drug. And so I kind of, you know, again, like taking ownership, that's the fire that keeps me lit for another 24 hours to keep check with my program to stay sober. And for me, you know, when you think about your life being 10 chapters, it's really not that long a period of time uh, you know, a hundred years, people say that's a long time, but like my day this week already flew by. And, you know, it's, um, I'm looking at the time with my son right now. And I, I just keep telling myself, I want to keep chasing my next 10 year hero, meaning I want to get better. Who is the next guy that I'm chasing? It's me. I'm
1: just, I'm chasing the better
2: me into the future.
1: Exactly. and, and, and guys, again, like I said, we all have those generational I mean let me let I me mean, let me see some so what was the low point in your battle with addiction that made you decide to change was it when the ring was given back to you or was it when you had to face your family
2: man there's there's a there's a there's a few of them right there i mean ultimately my last bottom was when my ex gave back the ring but there was this I've talked about it before too, but there was this point after New Orleans when I was sitting, I was sitting on the beach one morning. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful morning down there. I was still kind of high and drunk from the night before, but I still have the wherewithal that I do remember this vividly. Uh, the sun was on us, you know. It's like seventy-five degrees in the morning. The waves were rolling in. You can hear them crashing on the beach, and I literally looked out into the ocean upon the horizon, and I was like, is this what life's all about? Mm. Had I not had enough pain yet? And that's literally what went through my mind in that moment, sitting on the beach in Pensacola, Florida. So there was this this, this tiny little spark that went off again in my mind uh, during that long period relapse, which, is a, which was a couple years, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of like after that moment of being released from that hockey team I'm sitting on the beach, a beach bum, essentially no money. I'm sleeping on a couch in some guy's condo, you know, a former teammate of mine living the high life. Um, and, uh, you know, that was just kind of a moment in time where I thought to myself, you know, in that moment, had I had enough pain and, you know, again, there was more of going through some more trauma to myself personally, but that's when it was shortly thereafter, I faced my parents and then I saw them and the disgusted look on their faces and my dad exactly. said, you know, I don't want you in the house. So he helped me actually get a land contract on a house, got me out of the house. And then I told him I would pay him back, which I did the next year, which is still awesome. crazy to me because I was messed up. <laughs> I had this <laughs> big envelope big envelope of $100 bills, right? I could have done a lot of other things with that, if you know what I mean. Oh, um, Yeah. You know and i i had uh I had a a, a it, it was almost like I felt so good about myself that I could take that and deliver it for, to my dad because I gave him my word that I'd give it to him you know a year later that's fantastic um, but yeah uh those were those were some two two other key points w- within my story before
1: that final bottom when my ex- fiance gave the ring back wow wow you know in in hockey they had this thing guys, if you't wear, uh, it's also called a face off. It's called a face-off. And and I'm gonna show you really quickly, guys, what a face-off is. Just watch this. That's a face-off. It's when the referee drops the puck and every and all the opposing teams face off and they chase the puck. And he just said, Man. You know, I had my moment, I had my face-off. And guys, I don't know what puck you've been chasing, mm-hmm. but there comes a time in everyone's life where we have to have that face-off moment where you're gonna have to face your opponent. You're gonna have to face what's been facing you. And we have to be careful what puck we decide to chase. and. We've all been chasing a puck all of our lives, whether it be a career, whether it be a, a car job, whatever it is. What puck are you chasing will determine where you're going to go. Notice each, each player went in different directions chasing where they thought the puck was going to go. And a lot of times, when we have these addictions and these things that draw us, we're chasing a puck. All we're doing is chasing the next puck waiting and waiting waiting for the next drop chasing the next puck regardless of what it is let let me ask and 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 i'm not gonna hold you but why we talked about once about people trading addictions right Mm -hmm. we trading addictions so why do you think or why do you feel that uh most people only trade one addiction for another and how do we truly break addiction or kind of bad habits and what are, uh, what are those five steps that you kind of mentioned uh, earlier about your behavior change?
2: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think when when you're starting to leave an old life um, and you've been so accustomed to certain behaviors and it's just been second nature, you know, from drug use to drinking to smoking cigarettes, to chewing tobacco, whatever it is, which, by the way, I used to do all of that. I don't do any of it anymore. Uh, <laughs> But I started to have to fill the void with something positive. And it's exactly. Really, it's filling in the void is what it comes down to. So what was I going to fill my time with from those extracurricular activities that I was doing that was very negative towards myself? And so, you know, for me, I really immersed myself in the health and wellness space. I just found myself getting back to focusing on things that I was eating uh, you know, I, I, you know, love to work out. It was something that dad ingrained into me when I was 15 years old. So I got back to, uh, you know, certain workouts that I was doing later on you right, know, right. do certain certifications, you know, becoming a, a USA weightlifting sports performance coach to other fitness certifications, a sports nutritionist, uh, credentialed uh, and change psychologist, behavior change coach. And it's just my whole life, my previous life. It's, It's Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, like literally in Technicolor. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the story Um, because people that know me today, they when I tell them stories about the old (laughs) way, they're like, "There's no way they can't." No way, no way, it could be you.
1: You're you're kidding me, man. No way.
2: Exactly, and so that's where I just say to somebody who you know you're looking to make change what's something positive that we can fill with that negative behavior that you've been experiencing and i think where people kind of freeze uh and and we help people get around this idea of fear right like fear is an illusion first of all um so you know when we're talking about behavior change there's actually five stages to behavior change and the first one being pre-contemplation So in in the way of addiction or or somebody who's just got something where they're just in this really bad state of denial, uh, that would kind of be that first, that would be the experience of that person being at that first step of behavior change. And it would be, yeah, no, I don't have a problem. Um, And so they don't Mm. even recognize that they have a problem. Number two would be contemplation. Uh, So, you know, this is a person who's like, Yeah, I kind of see that there's some unmanageability here. You know, this guy, like for myself, I got released from a hockey team, but you know what? I'm not looking to make any changes yet. (laughs) Haven't had (laughs) any pain yet. Uh, And then you've got number three where, you know, this person is ready to make change. So they're like, all right, there's a problem. I'm ready to identify it and I'm ready to make change. Show me how to do it. Mm-hmm. And then you get to stage number four, which is the action step. So st- uh, step four is is taking action. So this is actually somebody who's now they're leaving this old behavior and they're going the opposite direction and they're physically right. making these changes now. Um, and then number five is somebody who's in the maintenance phase. So this is gonna be somebody who's made behavior change now for six to 12 months. And it's now become just a a new habit, uh, a new attitude, a new way of life. And, uh, you know, things have begun to change in their life, whether it be in their relationships, to their work environments, to the relationship with themselves. Right. So so many different ways that that can impact a person. But what we're trying to do is get people from procrastination up to maintenance and then not relapse and go back to old behaviors.
1: Absolutely. Guys, I put those in chat, uh, precast, procrastination, denial, contemplation, ready to change, take action, and then the maintenance phase is the behavior, uh, and the change is actually taking place. So if I don't have an addiction, let's say I don't have an addiction, I, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not drugs, no alcohol, I'm a pretty cool guy, I go to work, I'm a pretty straight guy, I don't do any of those things like that. Uh, can a behavior change program help a person even if they don't have an addiction?
2: 100% great question. Awesome. Um, because here's the thing. If we really were to have a candid conversation, uh, like I do with my clients, they love that I don't like to I've talked about this all the time, but I'm not your snorkel guy. I don't like to do <laughs> level conversation. I like to go scuba diving, let's go underneath and find <laughs> out what's really going on underneath that water, right? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, these are where we start getting into those deeper layer conversations to where we can start peeling back some of the things like, Oh, you know what? Yeah. I don't really like how I feel when I'm, you know, uh, demonstrating in X, Y, or Z, you know? And so whether that be, they don't feel good about their weight or, you know, they're not going to the gym or they're not getting positive information in the morning, whether it be a podcast like this or, uh, you know, some sort of reading material, there's just so many different things behaviors to attitudes uh to addiction i mean uh really it encompasses everything when you're talking about behavior change but what it all comes down to is someone actually having the willingness to say you know what yeah this really isn't adding value to my life in this behavior that i'm taking place in and i'm ready to make
1: change because absolutely man ready, absolutely you are gonna stay stuck Absolutely, absolutely, guys. Uh, Rick, you are also an author. Uh, I I got to cover your book here: Behavior Change, Impacting the Next Generation. There it is. Yeah, there it is, right there. Is this available on Amazon? Amazon and Kindle. Oh wow! You heard it, guys. It's available now on Amazon and Kindle. Behavior Change, Impacting the Next Generation. (laughs) By Rick Smith Jr. Guys, listen, this has been absolutely eye-opening about a lot of things. Uh, listen, you said one thing that's going to stick with me forever now. A generational hand-me-down. Yeah. Man, that ringing lots of bells, buddy. That's a whole show all by itself. Yeah. I'm going to leave that alone. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Guys, listen, this has been an absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Rick, for coming on the show. Man, uh, please. Let everybody know where they can find you, how they get in touch with you, where's your website, all that. Let everybody know
2: how to get in contact with you. Well, first of all, Travis, thank you so much, man. I appreciate the opportunity to coming on here and uh, being with your audience and you guys. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm across uh, different social media platforms. Rick Smith Jr., not the card player, believe it or not. There's a <laughs> card player. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Rick Smith Jr., normally I have behavior. Change attached to all my social media. So whether that be on Facebook to Instagram to LinkedIn to TikTok, uh, my website is www.ricksmithchange.com. All
1: right, guys, you heard them. You heard them. Guys, it's been an absolute blast. And you know how we do to get out of here. So let me go ahead and do this before I get it. Uh, hold on one second. You know how we got to do it. Guys, uh, it's that time. As always, it's been a real blast. Don't forget to visit our YouTube page, guys. That's coming together with the capital T. And don't forget to tune in right here every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to listen to the show. Guys, also, I am going to place a survey. A survey will be on my my Facebook page. Please take the survey. Sounds like three questions, guys. Take the survey about today's episode. You get to hear your voice about today's episode. How cool is that? And you can stream your favorite episode on your favorite streaming podcast platform like Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and so many more. Thank you everybody for tuning in. As always imparting, if you're gonna tell me something, then tell me something good. I'm out of here. I gotta go. Peace.